Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Many good Bible scholars agree John 17 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. It's the longest prayer in the Bible, and yet it probably only takes three minutes to read it. Uh, I was reading a commentary after I do my study, and for those men that are uh, in the men's study on Tuesday night, you know this. After I do my study, I usually compare my study to like a commentary or two to just see what they say and make sure I'm not off on some weird whatever. And uh, um, because I don't think I know everything. Amen. Neither do you. Amen. 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 So I was looking at J. Vernon McGee as I was looking at John chapter 17. If you're familiar with J. Vernon McGee, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, so that is a good number of you that are not familiar with J. Vernon McGee. Okay, J. Vernon McGee is a hoot, okay? I mean, honestly, one of the best, simplest Bible teachers. Am I right about it? And just a hoot. And you'd have to know him to appreciate this comment. We're talking about three minutes it takes to read the Lord's Prayer. J. Vernon McGee, he said this. He said, that's probably a good gauge for public prayer. You can't say what, if you can't say what you need to say in three minutes, then you got too much to say. He said, I'll be very frank with you. I think brief prayers right to the point are more effective than these long rambling ones we hear. No, one can, no wonder prayer meetings are dead as dodo birds. <laughs> Jay Vernon McKee, you got to appreciate it. Many agree that this chapter is the greatest chapter in the Bible because, listen, it reveals the communion between the Father and the Son. Are you with me, saints? In this chapter, the veil is pulled back and we are led into the Holy of Holies. This chapter takes us to the inner court, the sanctuary, the secret place. This chapter opens up the tabernacle of the Most High God. This chapter stretches across redemptive history. This chapter brings us on holy ground. The great Scottish reformer, John Knox, called John 17, the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. History tells us, while on his deathbed, John Knox, he asked his wife to read him the Scriptures. She said, honey, where do you want me to start reading? He replied, read where I first put my anchor down. In the 17th chapter of John, he loved this chapter so much. He read this chapter daily to him. She read it daily to him over and over and over and over again until he died. There's a theologian by the name of Philip Malathian. I think I'm saying that right. And he was the first systematic theologian of the Protestant movement. And in a lecture to his students, he said, quote, 
There is no voice which has ever been heard, neither in heaven or on earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. I love that end quote. Preachers, here's a three-point outline. Bible teachers, listen, I love it when the Bible gives us the outline right there in Scripture. Easy, no need to pull it out, no need to dig it up, no need to look for it. This chapter is one of them. Bible teachers, preachers, this is a freebie for you. Here's a three-point outline that you can use right here in John chapter 17, of which we are also going to use. First of all, you got your pen. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for the disciples. And in verses 20 through 26, finally, Jesus prays for all believers in the church. Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for the disciples. And Jesus prays for all believers. Over the next three weeks, listen, we're going to take one point from the outline to discuss. So today we'll talk about the best prayer ever is the title of the sermon, part one. And then next week you're going to come back and we're going to talk about the best prayer ever, part one. We all so smart. And then the following week we're going to talk about the best prayer ever part. Amen. I've titled this sermon, The Best Prayer Ever. Today, Jesus prays for himself. John chapter 17, let's get to it. Look at verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, I want you to say amen. Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes, underlined that, to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Are y'all looking at verse 3? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before The world was. Let the church say amen. Amen. Preparing the study this weekend. And for the first time, I think that I, I can ever remember even. I had a feeling of uh, inadequacy. Um. I, I, I felt totally inadequate to teach this chapter. Um, and I asked myself, why, 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 did I, why did I feel that way? And I thought to myself, when you look at this chapter, and I want you to look at John chapter 17 as a whole. If you're reading the King James Version, or you're reading the New King James Version, all the letters are written in red, yes? And when the letters are written in red, that means what? That means Jesus is speaking. So with that, it brought a sense of inadequacy to me because this chapter is high priestly. As a pastor, as a teacher, any pastor, any teacher worth his weight in salt would tell you that if they approach this scripture, you are speaking, these are the words of our Lord. 
It feels very high priestly. It's the intercession that passes between the Father and the Son. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And anyone should feel inadequate reading or preaching the Lord's Prayer. Now, this prayer goes by many names, some true and some not so true. Some call this the model prayer. Some call it the high priestly prayer or, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Now, you might be familiar with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As a matter of fact, this past Friday night, the prayer service for Pastor Saeed was absolutely awesome. There were, there were hundreds. Go ahead and clap your hands. There were hundreds of people here to pray. I was blessed, blessed, blessed. Even today, people were still telling me how that woman's testimony that I, that I shared from the video was still haunting them. And at the end of that prayer meeting, we all stood together, remember? And we recited the Lord's Prayer. We said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and so on. You will find that prayer in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, If you're taking notes, pardon me, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. This is called the model prayer. The disciples, if you remember, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the model prayer. Jesus gave the disciples this prayer in response to their question and asking him to teach them to pray. This prayer will be better called the disciples' prayer because Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. He's not trying to give them the exact words, but what he's trying to give them is like when you pray, like, 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 like the elements of this prayer, like our Father. Like he's trying to tell them when you pray, first of all, you address the Father, our Father, because he's God and he's above you. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. Amen. He's above you. He's not your homeboy. Uh Two people know what I'm talking about. Let me preach to you. All right. He's not your homeboy. He's not your your homie up in, in the sky. He's not the big kahuna. We're talking about God. He is God in heaven. Somebody clap your hands and say, that's right, pastor. He's God in heaven. He ain't your homie. And you don't talk to your God in heaven like your homie? That'd be like my kids talking to me like, hey, Rodney, what's up? I wish you would. I wish you would. Y'all know I'm old school, okay? I wish you would. Call me Rodney and see what happened. He's not your homie. Our Father. So the elements of that prayer is what Jesus is trying to teach them. Not that they ought to get on their knees and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and just pray and chant a prayer that has no meaning to their heart and no connection to their heart. The Bible Bible calls those vain, repetitious prayers. So this prayer will be the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. And the reason we know this is the disciples' prayer, because it says, and we know it's not the Lord's prayer, and we can emphatically say it's not the Lord's prayer because it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Don't y'all understand? Jesus could never pray that prayer. So that's a prayer for the disciples and us here in John 17. We find the Lord's prayer. Now, were you with me last week? We left off in chapter 16. Go ahead and look at chapter 16 in verse 33 with me. These things Jesus said I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have what, saints? 
Uh-huh. But be of good cheer. Why, saints? Uh-huh. I need all the saints with me. Why, saints? I've overcome the world. We talked about it. In Jesus, there's peace. In the world, there's tribulation. A world that is anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-church, Jesus says, we're going to have trouble. You're going to be pressured, hard-pressed. But Jesus says, be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So we left off with a promise of victory, a promise of peace, a promise of joy, a promise of supply, a promise of answered prayer, a promise of power, a promise of intimacy, a promise of communion and union, a promise of the Holy Spirit, a promise that he would fellowship with us. He promised them trouble. But in the end, they would triumph over their trouble. Are you glad about that? I'm waiting. Are you glad about it? Now, context, you know, saints, context, context. I'm trying to teach you something. Listen. Context, context, context. After all these promises, Jesus stops along the way. Some people say that Jesus prayed this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus did not pray this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane in the next chapter. This prayer is prayed after Jesus left the upper room. They are walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stops to pray. Don't you understand that Jesus' whole life was a life of prayer? He had an incredible life of prayer. Search the scriptures. Thumb through the New Testament. We're told before Jesus began his public ministry, he prayed. He got up early in the morning and he prayed alone. Jesus prayed before his baptism. We're told that Jesus spent all night in prayer choosing the twelve. John was probably 17 years old when Jesus called him to be an apostle. We're told that Jesus was praying as he was transfigured, Luke chapter 9. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going with us to Israel in January 2015? You should. We've got a couple spaces available. I'll take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. As a matter of fact, we'll have a prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's nothing like having a prayer meeting where Jesus had a prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll take you there. Jesus had prayer on his lips when he died. You know that. He said, Father, forgive them. We're told that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have, anybody know, prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And at the core of Jesus' life and ministry was prayer. Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to make, anybody know, intercession for us. He's our great intercessor. He prays for you, and he prays for me. And if Jesus, the Son of God, prayed and depended on the Father in prayer, how much more do we need to pray and depend on the Father in prayer? Am I right about it? Look at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Now listen, because of this verse, people get all caught up in the posture of prayer. Because verse 1 says Jesus lifted up his eyes and he prayed, people get all caught up in the posture of prayer. I've been in prayer circles and prayer meetings where literally people are looking up when they're praying. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any problem with that. Um, If you want to look up, look to the side, look to the left, look down, look all around, do the hokey pokey and shake it. I mean, I don't know what, but whatever you want to do, that's fine. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think Jesus' point when he looked up is to teach us that we ought to look up when we pray. That's not his point. 
I remember I had a staff person one time, and uh, he would always look up uh, when he prayed, and uh, Pastor Matt, and uh, I won't talk. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but I really did. I pick on you so much. I'm sorry. I love you. Jesus loves you more. And so I really did have a staff member who, like, during prayer, <laughs> during prayer, he would look up. And pray all the time and, 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 and no problem with that. But again, I don't think Jesus is trying to make a doctrine out of where you put your eyes doing prayer. Jesus is far more concerned with where you put your heart doing prayer. The position of your body doesn't matter. The position of your heart is what matters. Remember, I always tell you the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. Come on, clap your hands and say amen, will you? It's where you put your heart doing prayer. The story is told of three preachers who sat discussing the best position for prayer. A telephone man, repair man, was working nearby, and he overheard the conversation from the three preachers. Kneeling is uh, definitely the best, the first preacher said. No, the second preacher contended. I bet the best results I find are when I'm standing with my hands outstretched toward the heaven. Oh, you're both wrong, the third preacher insisted. The most effective prayer posture is laying prostrate, Face down on the floor. Oh, the repairman couldn't contain himself any longer. He said, pastors, some of the best praying I ever did was when I was hanging upside down from a telephone pole after my safety strap broke. (laughs) Amen. And I immediately read that. And then I thought of Peter. Don't you remember when Jesus said to Peter, Bible students, are you with me? Remember when Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, come out. And come to me on the water. And while Peter was walking toward Jesus, the wind was blowing. Peter got scared and he said, help. Don't y'all know, help. That's a prayer. (laughs) Save me, Jesus. Fix it, Lord. That's a prayer. I cannot imagine Peter is sinking in the water and going down like this. I'm thinking Peter's probably going, look, when you're sinking, your natural body instinct is to try to stay afloat. I don't know if Peter could swim or not. Peter was a big burly guy. Maybe he could swim. Maybe he probably flailing around and help Jesus. That's a prayer. Your prayers. Remember, I always tell you the length of prayer has nothing to do with the strength of prayer. And the volume of prayer has nothing to do with the strength of prayer. Let the church say amen. Y'all know we all been in prayer circles where folk be loud. As if God has a hearing aid. Father! The strength of prayer has nothing to do with the length of prayer. Listen, it's not the position of the body. It's the attitude of the heart. Say amen. Your eyes can be in a lot of different places during prayer. Uh, you know, while in prayer, some are praying to be seen of men. Matthew 6, 5, Jesus said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Some are praying to impress other people with their ability to pray. I've been in prayer meetings and prayer circles where you look at they, this person prays and you go, man, that, that guy can really pray. I don't really know what that means, but 
you know, you, you know, you go, man, that guy can really pray. I mean, he got, you know, and, and, and maybe, you know, using big words and carrying on, you go, wow, you know, Father, we call on thee, thine potentate on high. Wouldst thou by thy omnipotent, omniscient power come down to thine thine peasants? They're like, wow. Why don't you just say, God, won't you come and help us? <laughs> I mean, some people pray to impress other people. Some are praying to send a message to someone instead of just telling them what they need to tell them. Mm-hmm. We're going to leave that alone, okay? All right, you're going to pray me, Lord. I'm just asking you to let that sister in the green shirt right across from me Tell the Lord she didn't mind her business. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's funny, but, but it happens. You can be in prayer with your eyes on yourself. You can be in prayer and find yourself simply talking to yourself. When you pray, your eyes should be on heaven. Somebody say amen, which doesn't necessarily mean your eyes are looking upward. It means our hearts are looking upward. Jesus is lifting his eyes up to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Father, Abba, Abba, Papa, Papa. Ima, mother, Ima, in Israel, will hear kids when we get into the Jewish square. They'll be running behind their moms and behind their dads. Ima, Ima, mom, mom, papa, papa, abba, abba, papa, papa, as they call out to their parents. Father, the hour has come. It's a term of endearment. Now, Calvary Chapel, you know this. When Jesus talks about the hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes. Somebody say amen. He's talking about the hour when it's time to die and go to the cross. We've been talking about that hour since we started this book. John 2, 4, John 7, 6, John 7, 30, John 8, 20, John 12, 23, John 13, 1. Here in John 17, 1, all talk about my hour has come. It was the hour when the greater than David, the greater than Solomon, the great Messiah would come and die on the cross. The hour that Jesus would die on the cross and fulfill all prophecy concerning him. It was the hour when the serpent's head would finally be bruised. It was the hour, are you listening, when the Lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. It was the hour that every prophet spoke about and every man longed for. It was the hour of triumph over the prince of this world. It was the hour of dismissing the old and ushering in the new. This is the hour that Jesus came for, and now he's ready for the cross. He's ready for that hour. Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Over and over, saints, listen, Jesus talks about glory and glorify because it was something he knew, something he experienced. Are you listening? Something he wanted every believer to experience. Fast forward to verse 24. Look at chapter 17 and verse 24. Father, I want all believers to know and experience the glories of heaven. Jesus knew. Jesus experienced. He wanted all believers to experience it as well. Interesting to note that Jesus is praying for himself in context of God's reputation and God's glory and the brilliance of the weight of everything that God is. Are you listening? Before his death, 
Jesus is praying for himself and then for the disciples and then us. But it's interesting, nothing self-centered in this prayer. Jesus is simply praying that God would be glorified. Different in our prayers, isn't it? We be praying, Lord, get me out of this. Jesus prayed, Father, be glorified as I go through this. Jesus' prayer is that God would be glorified. The word glory, Christianity 101. Listen, the word glory in the Hebrew language is kabod. K-O-B-O-D, kabod. The word kabod means the weight. It means the heavy. It means the cloud, the kabod. The temple, you know, had two compartments, right? The holy place and the holy of holies. Hebrews 9, 9, 9, 3 tells us that it's called the holiest of all. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.